Okay, so um, let's get started. Welcome to our GM uh, seminar. And uh, today or tonight, we're talking uh, GM 206. Um, I'm not really sure with the nomenclature. I guess it goes back a ways because we started out with GM 101, but now we're 206. And today we're talking about rewards, treasure items, uh, experience, and motivating players. So like all things that sort of incent player uh, playing and, and uh, um, you know, uh, rewards, that sort of thing. And uh, for those of you who don't know me, I can see a couple of new names here. Um, so welcome to uh, the, the, uh, the, 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 the seminar. My name is Alpha. Um, that's my real name believe it or not. And uh, sometimes my handle is Cocoa Puff, Anansi, and uh, soon to be Perry Collects. Uh, and we have today our esteemed panelists, uh, Refurbished Doombot, The Librarian, and Storytime42. And, uh, you know, you definitely have your kind of real names and your real identities and stuff like that. So if I can ask our three panelists, maybe just to tell us a little bit about yourselves, uh, maybe some of your experience with role playing, either as a player or a GM, like whichever, and then answer the question, um, why is the longsword plus one is either uh, is or is not the worst thing ever in any game? So why don't we start with story time? I'm going to go with you. Sure. You get a plus one weapon. You get a plus one weapon. No. Um, so my experience is almost all in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, really fifth edition. And uh, I run a couple of games, play in a couple of games regularly. Uh, all of them. All of them current. Uh, done a few one-shots. As a player, so um, and uh, I don't think the plus one weapon is the worst thing ever. I just think it's one of the most boring things, uh, and so I generally like to spice up a plus one. Nice, and I, I will say, Theo, story time. Um, your your sound is a little bit intermittent, so you might have to speak a little bit, maybe closer to the mic or whatever. I, I know, <clears throat> I know that we've been having some kind of audio issues, but I just wanted to kind of let you know. Um, and then uh, next, uh, our um, esteemed librarian, Leah. <laughs> I I'm Leah. I also go by Leah Weird often. That's a play on my last name, if anybody knows me in real <laughs> That's life. That's right. And I use it run a bunch of uh, play-by-post style role-playing games, and I'm just very recently delving into using actual systems, but so far mostly diceless. Nice. And then what's your take on the plus one longsword? I think I'll agree that like it doesn't seem like necessarily a bad thing, but like why that? Why not something more interesting or more useful? Okay, great. And uh, last of all, uh, Your Highness Serenity uh, Do um, Doombot. Yes, there we go. That that's great. Uh, yeah, hi, my name's uh, Gavin. I go by Refurbished Doombot on this server. Uh, in terms of gaming experience, I've been playing and running games for a long time. Started with the uh, basic D&D box set where you had to color in your own dice and worked my way forward through some D&D editions and uh, then branched out into some other games. And these days I'm pretty heavily into Powered by the Apocalypse stuff, a little bit of Fate stuff and some Forged in the Dark stuff. 
and the reason that a plus one longsword is the absolute worst thing that can happen to a game uh, are th- three basic reasons. Um, it, it, it exists really, it does only two things. It gives a mechanical bonus to a player's, you know, to hit that isn't reflected anywhere in the game. It doesn't really show up or uh, appear to the characters in any way. It's just that static plus one. So not only is it a mechanical bonus, it's not really even mechanically interesting. It doesn't interact with the other rules in a good way. Its only other purpose is to be sold for gold, and gold is an even worse uh, reward for RPGs, and I'm happy to get into that as well. And finally, the reason a plus one longsword is a terrible reward, uh, I'm kind of calling back to the earlier editions of D&D. I don't know if they still do it because I'm not as heavily into uh, fifth edition, but in the early editions of D&D, any module over a certain level, one of the first things you'd ever find was a plus one longsword because the design implication was that someone in the party will be able to use it. And the reality was that because we all knew modules were written that way and because then homebrew GM started writing that way, nobody ever wanted to use a weapon that wasn't a standard, you know, long sword, long bow, mm-hmm. et cetera, because mm-hmm. that's what the magic item would be when it came up. Right. So it almost forced and genericized, uh, you know, the choice of weapons uh, just because you could gain that from a mechanical perspective. Interesting. Exactly. You didn't want to be the guy with the heavy flail who was never going to have a plus yeah, one heavy right. flail come up. Yeah. Okay. Or, or, or or some, you know, funky monk weapon or whatever that's never going to be enchanted. Okay, no, those are all great. And uh, just as a reminder, especially for those of you who um, are new to the channel and new to this kind of format. Um, so we've got kind of two chat channels that we are kind of posting to. And so um, if you have a question <clears throat> regarding today's topic and you want to post that and um you know have it uh you know potentially answered by our panelists please post that, post that to the gm questions um channel and then uh go ahead uh, especially those of you who are in it if you want to go and give a thumbs up to the questions that kind of interest you so you can see that there's a bunch here that you know they have three thumbs up and two so i'm going to tend to gravitate to more towards the questions that have uh you know more more uh, votes for it uh and then uh during the chat by all means if you feel like kind of going in to the seminar chat uh, channel and just kind of typing away, there's probably going to be some ongoing discussion in there as well. So uh, feel free to do that. But with that, <clears throat> excuse me, and just because uh, I guess I'm, um, you know, moderating today, I'm actually going to start off with my own question, which is maybe a little bit self-serving. But, you know, as a player, um, you know, from that perspective, what are you looking for in terms of reward and loot, right? Does money and currency matter or is it all about the special items like, you know, an upgraded magic item or, you know, high technology or something like that? So can you talk about that from maybe a player perspective and maybe how that influences your choices as a game master? Um, why don't we start with you, Leah? <clears throat> yeah. I definitely love experience points as like kind of an external reward thing, Mm. because for me, it's like the more experience you get, the more cool things you can do. It unlocks that special power that you can only get at this level, or you can purchase a new power from a list or however the game mechanics break up. And I only really like treasure when they can do the same thing in game, like selling all your gold can get you this weapon that does this specific cool thing or various stuff 
like right. you add on. <clears throat> so, so, so the accumulation of stuff in a, in of itself doesn't seem like you know very useful to you. I think what you're saying is, give me rewards, give me loot, give me something that helps my character, uh, you know, gain in abilities and power and things like that. So ultimately, my 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 character can develop. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Nice. Yes. Okay, that's good. Um, story time. Any different perspectives from that, or, or you know, do your your uh, your ideas kind of flow along those lines? Um, I think they flow along those lines. Uh, I don't like experience points. I love milestone. I am champion of milestone all over sure. uh, for many many reasons, both as a player. Yeah. But uh, I understand what Leah's saying about how we want everything to really further our character progression. Uh, what is it that my character has learned? What is it my character can do now that's new? Um, and those can come from both loot uh, or level progression through, you know, and level progression, whether it's experience points, milestone, I mean, you're still going to hit that level. And that is when you kind of get this extra, you know, that is when you get that tipping point. You know, you've been working on your class a bit, right? You know, you get to that tipping point, all of a sudden, now you can have that next level. Um, and, uh, right? So, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree that we want things that, I like interesting things. I like things that uh, let me do things that maybe, like we're talking about loop, I like things that maybe let me do things that my, that, I, that my character doesn't already do, that maybe give me a spell from another feature. Uh-huh. Maybe, uh, you know, proficiency that uh, maybe I've been, you know, interested in, but uh, don't actually have. So again, if I'm kind of paraphrasing, <clears throat> it, you know, th- these rewards or whatever, you know, in, in of themselves, they're not that important. It's really more about, you know, how you can add some other cool things to your character and their abilities and things like that. So ultimately, it's more about the leveling up than the actual uh, rewards itself. Now, um, Gavin, I, I guess I wanted to kind of, you know, almost challenge that position. Like, so for example, <laughs> I'm, I'm a D&D player and it certainly is exciting to get certain magic items, right? And, and you know, and, and I'm sure the same thing exists within like a sci-fi game. Like if you get a, a lightsaber or a plasma rifle or something like that, that, you know, levels you up and expands like, uh, like um, uh, Storytime was saying, you know, your ability, surely that's got to be useful for something. What do you yeah, think? I, I mean, I, I guess <clears throat> um, I will come at this from a, a very different way. As a player, uh, I understand that there's a balancing act in most systems. Any mechanics are going to demand that characters be at a certain numerical level so they can roll to a certain point uh, and be credible against the foes they're facing. And that's fine. And I, you know, when I run games, I also try to make sure that balance exists where it should exist or if it's a different kind of genre where it shouldn't exist. But for me as a player, um, I, I'm not really interested in the gear my my guy has, and I'm not even that interested in the abilities that he can muster or she can muster. What I'm really interested in is the opportunities I get to push the story forward and do things in the story. So the things I love as a reward player is like a noble title for my character, because now I can go to the queen's ball and there's going to be something interesting there for me to do or for me, you know, for our group to do. Um, 
I'm going to win the favor of the Scarlet Syndicate. And now I've got contacts in organized crime that I can, you know, talk to and, and move the story forward and get to all kinds of trouble with. Those are the kind of rewards that I look for, things that open up the world and open up the options for my character. Uh, so that's me. I will say to now to flip to the GM side, not everybody is like me, and I run a ton of games for people who are very much not like me. As a GM, the easiest way for me to decide what kind of reward works well for what player, um, first of all, I can just ask them. There is absolutely nothing wrong as a GM sitting down with your player and being like, so what does your character want to accomplish? What do they want to get out of life? You know, What's their interest? If they could have one thing, what would it be? Those are all great questions, and there's nothing wrong with asking a player that. Um, if you want to be a little more surreptitious, just look at their character sheets, and it'll tell you exactly what they want as rewards. Uh, if they've put all you know their character points and skills and focus into being a talky character, uh, they want an opportunity to put that in play. And they probably also like any magic or special items that enhances that kind of activity or gives them more options. Um, I guess what I'm saying too is, you know, if you have a player who's clearly not trying to play a combat monster, don't keep dropping plus or magic weapons on their character. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Even it make better in combat, that's not really what they're at the table for. Yep. And they're going to feel a little short, sh you know, that they got shorted a bit compared to the characters who are big into uh, combat and are getting the same kind of magic weapons. So yeah, talk to your players and look at their character sheets. And between the two of them, you'll almost certainly have a real good idea of the kind of rewards they're looking for. And um, I, I think that's a great segue into there's a, a question that got three uh, votes from uh, Storyweaver. And it's like, have you ever placed or designed a loot item with a player character in mind? And, you know, it sounds like, uh, Gavin, you definitely take that approach. What about you, uh, um, Daryl, uh, from your perspective, uh, especially in, in your recent games, are, are you kind of customizing and homebrewing your loot so that it kind of suits very specific uh, character and player needs oh yeah a thousand percent uh i can't tell you how much customization um because and and i take the approach that gavin does as well i talk to my players and say what do you envision for your character what they like right at the beginning you know, and even as we go through and level up you know say okay your vision was was this is this still the case um, so, like, I like to be kind of uh, involved in that level of process because I like to get that sounding board. So that when I'm looking at uh, the opportunities to throw good loot uh, into the next level arc, right, you know, I make sure that I can give them something that they want, that they'll be able to use, that they will progress into their vision of what their character does. So I, I'm quite interested because, I mean, both of you have kind of talked about the ideas of touching base with your players, you know, asking the questions directly of them, you know, what are the things that you want? What are the things that your character want? So I'm curious, Daryl, how often do you actually, you know, go out and directly solicit that feedback? Uh, every level up. <laughs> oh, every um, level up, really? Okay. Every every level up uh, for every character, <clears throat> and then some characters, uh, some of my players will will be asking me questions in between. Uh, say things like, uh, "Well, if that's something that your character wants, why don't you work on that?" And then you know, like um, for example, I have a character who's who from the very beginning, from about level two, and they're currently level three. Um, 
interested in learning how to make potions. And we just went on an adventure to get an ingredient to make a potion of water breathing. And, uh, and they've been working with uh, the local apothecary uh, in order to make potions because they're looking to get proficient in alchemy skills so they can do this on their own. Uh, and so that is definitely something uh, that we're talking about a lot more in between mm-hmm. to make sure that happens. But and it sounds it ties very closely into their interest and in, and in sort of uh, even uh, you know where their character is going within the storyline. So yeah, that that would uh, connect the, those dots as well. Yeah, and then other characters, you know, are, seem to be uh, quite happy with uh, you know following the story along and participating, and doing what they feel their characters would do, and uh, and sometimes uh, it's you know the level up touch is kind of saying, okay, what's the next step for your character what's the next vision that you have right what, what do you hope to accomplish in this next level right uh, it really gets them thinking about their characters as actual people with actual goals and actual reasons for being um, and really uh, i think helps ground them in the campaign gets them in no, that that that's awesome. Um, what about you, Leah? Um, uh, you know, from from your perspective, uh, you know, uh, how, how do you what, what are your thoughts on on this? I think most of the rewards I've ever given have been like that, like very specific things, because the style of games that I play don't necessarily lend themselves to uh, take over the dungeon, loot whatever's there. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's very much like okay. Uh, this character ends up going through libraries a lot. They're definitely into scholarly things. Let them find the magic spell book that they can now keep and have it tie into the plot later. Right. And that and- tends to be like bonus on top of their reward that they got. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I'm hearing so much from a theme perspective. And, and I guess, you know, my, my own experiences are a little bit colored by D&D, which is very much about, you know, you've got lists of, you know, certain generic items. But, you know, what I'm hearing from all three of you is that, you know, there are opportunities within the story that are, you know, really just about building your character and your player experience. And, you know, the whole concept of a monetary gain or a, a you know, a material thing is, is not necessarily even needed as long as that fits sort of within, you know, how your character is progressing, which is great. Um, so there's a great question. Lots Sorry. of upvotes on oh. this one. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Alpha. Um, can I actually give you another contrarian answer on that? I one? would love a contrarian <laughs> answer. I'd love nothing more than contrarian. All right, so I'm going to be very quick because I know we want to move to a new question. But I very rarely ever design a reward for just one character in the party. Wherever Ooh. possible, I will design it with a connection to two characters in the party or I three or four, it. as many as I can fit in there. And the reason for that is because I want character uh, versus character interaction. Not necessarily fighting. I don't want them fighting to the death for it. But I want to. I wanted these rewards to create a reason to connect the characters. So as a quick example, uh, standard fantasy party, say uh, you've got your fighter, you've got your mage, you've got your cleric. Let's say for sake of argument, the wizard comes from a noble family. If they find a magic sword... Uh, it's going to be all kinds of things, but one thing it's going to be is it's going to be perfectly usable by the fighter, and it's going to be a family heirloom of the wizard's family, oh. extended family, something like that. Oh, because now it. they both have a stake in that item, and that's going to lead to at least something interesting. And uh, I'm all about just kind of throwing stuff in to see what uh, you know what, what leads happens. to that 
that story development that isn't just me sitting in my chair, talk, talk, talking the whole time. Well, and you know, I, I mean, this this kind of makes me think about my own experience as a player, uh, you know, in in a D&D campaign where, you know, so, so the GM says, oh, okay, you find all these things, right? And then almost in a very metagame fashion, people kind of go through and they say, oh, you know, this item would be good for me. And, I, you know, I should have this because it suits my character, et cetera, right? And there's the, you know, it really kind of takes you out of that character immersion. Whereas the way you've done it, right, you've made a link over to, you know, something that is completely outside of like, a, you know, the, the character, um, sorry, the, like the, the race or the stats, right? The mechanics. It's not about the mechanics. It's actually about the linkage to the role playing, which I absolutely adore. So great contrarian answer. Okay, so I'm going to move along to uh, Agensis's question with the four votes. In what way do different game systems handle rewarding players differently? To what extent is it necessary to provide rewards exterior to those described in a system? Um, and I'm going to pass that one to you, Gavin, since uh, you are our contrarian. So I'll, I'll give you that uh, that little reward. Okay, and then you're going to let everyone disagree with me for one hundred percent. You 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 got it. Probably fair. <laughs> okay, so yes, I mean absolutely. Different systems provide different rewards uh, based on mechanics, but also based on tone and genre of the game. Right? If you're running a cyberpunk game, uh, unless it's Shadowrun, first of all, there's no magic. <laughs> and in cyberpunk, there's that ongoing assumption that the world is against your your party. They're never going to get a ton of friends in high places. It's just not a reasonable reward in a cyberpunk genre for them to have highly placed friends that they keep as friends for any length of time. So you definitely want to consider that. Uh, and the se- sorry, Alpha. The second part of that question was sorry. I'm just going back because I was looking through the different ones for my next one. Uh, the question is: To what extent is it necessary to provide rewards exterior to those described in a system? Fantastic question. Um, so yeah, there's. I, I'm going to take this two different ways. One is that you should absolutely be giving rewards outside the mechanics of the system uh, that are tied specifically to your story. Uh, the way I always look at it is rewards can do a few different things. You can reward the player, you can reward the character, you can drive the story forward, or you can expand on your world. Ideally, if you can do all of those at once, congratulations, you just hit you know GM master territory. Most of us aren't going to be able to do that, and certainly not consistently, but rewards that aren't tied to the mechanics are a really good way to expand your world and drive the story forward. We talked about titles. Uh, Other things are contacts, favors owed, uh, new sort of discoveries of secret information. Anything like that Mm -hmm. may not have that mechanical basis, but Mm -hmm. it really can move your story. Yeah, and I like I like the idea, Gavin, of of information being a reward. You know, that that's hundred percent. Yeah, that's, that's great. The other reward I really want to point out real quick that we often don't think about, there's nothing wrong at the end of a session with turning to a player, a particular player who really sort of had a great idea or killed it that session and saying, hey, great session today. That was a fantastic idea. Well, the rest of the table's there. We, we all do this to have fun and to, you know, feel like we're doing something, accomplishing something in a group. And just mm-hmm. a GM telling you that you had a great session, it can really ensure that a player comes back to the table. 
And I, I would even say, you know, vice versa as well. I mean, when when a GM gets that feedback, you know, solicited or unsolicited from their players, that's definitely a high and it's definitely a reward. So, you know, I, I like that as well. And so with that, I'm going to segue a little bit uh, into a slightly different question for uh, Daryl, because I know uh, in speaking with you, uh, you know, a little while ago, you talked about um, inspiration points. And so inspiration points are in, uh, it's a mechanic in D and D where uh, the game master can award essentially a re-roll on one of the dice um, as a reward for maybe superior role play or you know some clever tactic or something like that and I personally don't like to give those out very often to me my bar to pass is extremely high but I remember you telling very specifically you give out inspiration points like they're candy you want to talk about that and your perspective for why you you feel that way? Sure. Um, I love giving out inspiration points, first of all. Um, I, I don't know why people are so afraid. Like, to roll with advantage, it's not really that big of a deal, uh, in my view. But, you know, maybe, you know, I mean, I'm sure other people defer, uh, many is defer, and that's fine. But uh, I give out lots of inspiration points. I allow them to keep them, to stack them, to hoard them, whatever. And then I give them different ways to spend them, right? One inspiration point, exactly the rules is written. You roll with advantage, great. Two inspiration points, you can allow a member, another member of your party to roll with advantage. Maybe they don't have inspiration left. And, they, and this is an important role. And you need, as a party, say, I need this to happen. I'm going to give you two of mine. Or three inspiration points, you roll the dice, you didn't like the result, and you realize maybe this role is more important than I thought it was. I'm going to spend three inspiration points to re-roll that die. As long, of course, as long as you do it before the result is called, right? Eyes at the end, like I said, uh, you know, success, fail, or whatever, then it's too late. But if it's before that point, no problem. Uh, all, all bets are on. Um, and I'm bad at giving out inspiration points in, in the moment, uh, but I am excellent at starting uh, the next session saying, hey, uh, you know, you, you really stay true to your character in this moment, or... Uh, you know, you had a really great idea, or you really made me laugh. I had a great time. Um, inspiration, right? Or when a group, when the group, and, and, and I do, you know, so when the group is working together in tandem to get uh, a very specific goal uh, done, and they seem to do, and they seem to work well as a team, I'll probably give them maybe two inspiration points for, for working so well as a team. Because I want to kind of... Uh, promote the idea that they are a team, they do work together, they want them to interact with each other, right? Uh, so I'm perfectly fine. And then what I also found, as I've given them out like candy, it means that they use it often. And when they use it, they're using it on goals I think are important. They're using it at times where they say, this is an important moment, I really want to make sure I succeed, or I want to tip the odds in my favor. Um, and I don't give it out so often, they just have it for every role. Right, you know, but I, I give it out often enough that they're not afraid about when the next one is coming. <laughs> that's um, that's interesting. That feedback as a DM is very valuable to me in terms of knowing what it is that they're liking, what it is they're engaging, what it is they feel uh, is really where the the, the tension 
right? Because that's when they use it is when they feel this tension. Right. In, in those moments where it's the most important for them in a game. Yeah, I know for sure. Um, and so I'm going to switch to another one of Agensis's question. And Lee, I'm going to kind of put this one to you. And so, you know, I think, you know, from your perspective, you've, you've done a variety of different types of game, kind of, you know, the play by, uh, you know, uh, you know, correspondence and, and also kind of directly uh, using some, you know, live play kind of stuff. Um, so to you, what are the differences between motivating players and um, motivating characters? Is one more important than the other? Or can these two perspectives conflict? I think it depends on like the sort of player that you're playing with. Because some people are all about the metagame is like, this is very bad for my character, but I am all welcome to it because it's a better story if this happens. Mm-hmm. And some people are just like, want that win state, which is the sort of game where having a loads of treasure as a stand-in for points is worth it to them. Mm-hmm. So I definitely like, sorry, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Okay, great. Gavin, anything contrarian to say on this one? I, I, you know, do you need to kind of distinguish between the player and the character? I, I'm, I'm assuming that you, you have a position on this one. I, I try to distinguish between player and characters, yes. The last time I fireballed a group of players, I got in a lot of trouble, so I do try to make that <laughs> um, In terms of rewards... And if there's I, anyone who's going to be pulling that kind of stuff off, it's going to be you. <laughs> um, in terms of rewards, yeah, Leah is absolutely correct. It's really important to remember that what is a reward for the player may not be a reward for the character and vice versa. Uh, I mentioned you know, if you have a character or a player in your game who really doesn't isn't interested in combat at all and you just keep loading them up with magic weapons and armor they're not going to have as good a time um, ideally you get a reward that hits both but sometimes you got to pick one or the other you just want to make sure that you're not kind of hitting that cross current between player and character uh, and, and giving a reward that seems like one on its face but really isn't so what what's an example of of, of something that kind of hits both of those notes uh, so, uh, I'll go back to, actually, no, that's boring. I won't go back to what I picked before. Um, actually, Alpha, why don't you pick a random reward of some kind? I'll see if I can give you an example of where I'd use it for both the same character and player. A random reward. I don't know. Yeah. Um, walkie-talkie. <laughs> okay. So, walkie-talkie. We're going to go to post-apocalyptic on this. Um, and I'm going to say, so this is a fantastic reward, a working set of walkie-talkies, because, you know, one doesn't do you much good. <laughs> Just uh, one, not so good, right? It's like the Coke no, bottle not, in the in the Sahara? Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe as a bludgeoning instrument, but probably not that effective. But <laughs> if, you, if you've got your post-apocalyptic session, set of walkie-talkies is a perfect reward when you have, and we have all had this, the one character who cannot stay with the rest of the party, who <laughs> always has to go off and wander on their own, wander off and you know, explore on their own because usually they're playing the rogue or the scout or the ranger or whatever that equivalent is in the world. They're playing something sneaky and that can move well on its own. So, you know, walkie talkies are a fantastic reward because one, the player is going to like it because now the rest of the group isn't going to give them as much crap for going off on their own because they can still pop them. <laughs> the player's going to, the character is going to like it because they can call in for support. The players are going to like it uh, because, you know, they, can range a little further and still be in contact and you just took away one of your gm headaches which is constantly running side little bits for this person who's two kilometers over the horizon nice that's that's amazing uh especially on the fly as well 
Um, so, Leah, I'm going to shift to another one of our highly voted questions. Uh, this one's from Storyweaver. Do you require player characters to undergo training to gain levels? Are there alternatives that you have used to justify leveling up in game? And obviously, that's going to be kind of game specific, and that might not apply. But Leah, what are your perspectives and experience uh, in terms of leveling up, powering up? That's also like sort of depends on the system. But I like training as a, as a method of saying, okay, yeah, that's why you can be better at this thing. It's an in-story excuse for stuff. Okay. But I, it depends on whether you want to like make them or have it just be in the background is that you have been in order to get this reward that I've given you for some other reason. So have you ever like, so, so you're almost kind of talking there like, you know, the, the whole kind of lead up to the, the mechanical leveling up, you can actually play that out in game, right? It doesn't have to be something which is like downtime and just kind of occurs off to the scenes. It can be something very actively that's part of your your story. Am, am I hearing you correctly on that? Oh, yeah. Nice. Because like, it, it, it depend, like, depends again on the sort of thing you're playing, but if you're doing a lot of character interaction stuff, if another character is teaching another character what it is, or they have their master that is an NPC that they keep going back and visiting, that mm-hmm. can be very in-game fun. Nice. Gavin, what are your perspectives on training and, you know, doing it either, you know, directly in the game or, or you know, versus more of a mechanical rules kind of perspective? Uh, yeah, so uh, training is a mechanical requirement to gain a level. Uh, I've never put that in as a house rule. Uh, to my way of thinking, players work hard enough to level without then me putting in more speed bumps. Uh, what I really... <laughs> to be contrarian again, what I really like is not training as a price, but training as a reward for gaining a level. So training as a reward. Your, training as a reward, huh. because training is once again an amazing way to to expand on your world and your story and give them new contacts and new options. So your character uh, goes up a level. I'll, I'm going to pick an easy one this time because I don't want to monopolize too much time. Your character is a monk. They go up a level. They gain a new sort of flashy martial arts technique. The player gets to decide, and, and you kind of work it out together. Who did he learn it from? Right. Was he, you know, did he find an old scroll? Did he go find a teacher? Was it a celestial being visited him in his dreams and taught it to him? And the player gets to kind of gets as much input as possible. And so you know, you don't want to unbalance or throw things off as to how this training came about. And then they get to kind of implant something in the world and they have a new contact or a new feature of the world that they can maybe call on in the future when it's appropriate in the in the story in the game. That's amazing. Yeah, that's not very contrary. I mean, I've done the same thing in my game. Warlock upgraded, right? He had to talk to his Warlock patron uh, through a dream cycle, but uh, in order to get sign that contract to get that third um, you know, the, the sorcerer had to meditate and figure out uh, how is it that he comes by his... Well, he decided to do some meditation. Say, like, how did you come by this new metamagic? Yeah. Uh, I totally agree with you on this. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a reward, not a student. Training montages are super cool, and you should try to fit them into your games whenever you can. Have your players <laughs> describe their training montage to you. That's great. There's a reason every other movie has one. <laughs> I love that. That's, that's fantastic. Well, and, and, you know, like one of the things I'm hearing from everyone, right? So, I mean, obviously within any role playing game, they have 
mechanics. They have rules that have, you know, a structure and a framework to it. But really the best execution of a role-playing game is when you start to go outside of these kind of mechanical frameworks and things like that, and you're really then starting to use it as a vehicle for the role-playing itself, for the character development. And Gavin, I love your example of, you know, you're leveling up and you have to meet with, you know, here's the the new grandmaster of, you know, whatever the, the you know, the quivering palm technique or, or, you know, what have you, right? So then you have to have an interaction with that person. That's a, an opportunity for you to introduce a really interesting or maybe a terrible NPC, at least somebody, uh, you know, memorable. That's great. Okay, now and, I'm going to... Sorry. Oh, so no, go, go ahead. Go real ahead. Quick. The awesome thing about those interactions is because the players know they already have the reward. They've already leveled ah, up. Yes. Those are the best interactions because they're not worried about, am I going to be successful or not? They just play it out and see what happens. Very nice. Very nice. Okay, I'm going to switch a little bit to something that, Daryl, you brought up at the very beginning, and it explicitly was, you're not a big fan of XP or experience points, right? What you prefer more is, uh, you know, what what's called milestone. And, and, and just as a context for those of you who might not be familiar with the term, so a lot of game systems have what are called experience points, and you accumulate them throughout the game based on certain things that you do. Maybe it's certain, uh, you know, actions or interactions, or maybe you kill a bunch of monsters and you gain X number of points. And after you gain that number of points, you, you know, you pass the threshold and then you level up, right? So that's the concept. And then the other concept, uh, Daryl, that you were talking about is more about milestones where after your players achieve something major in the storyline or the plot, that's the opportunity to uh, level up. And I can see the merits in both, but Daryl, why don't you talk about your particular perspective in this space? All right. So um, I, I see XP as a lot of math for little, for, for not saying no reward, but or no game, for very little game uh, in, in my view of how I, maybe it's because of how I run things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you milestone, uh, you get a few things. One, your parties are all kind of the same level, right? So no one is powerful than the other. So no one, so everyone has a, a, an equal chance to be in the spotlight because everyone has, you know, what's considered in the game, you know, in the game system to be a relatively equal level. Um, and then you also get uh, an opportunity to uh, to really arc out by level and have really cool. Uh, I call them uh, uh, end cap leveling, uh, or you know, like your, your end cap encounter. So it's just, this is going to be your encounter that's going to take you from level two to level three, or three to four, or whatever it is, right? You know, so then you can really cultivate this experience, put something actually difficult in front of them, and just kind of know if you, you know, in, as a DM or as a GM, okay, um, if you, you know, you know that if your players are successful, they're going to get the reward of another level. Um, and then you get lots of opportunities to role play how that actually happened, you know, um, after the big battle, uh, but, uh, or, or social encounter or whatever, whatever genre you're playing, whatever your goals, you, when you hit that major milestone, you, you know, you're, you're able to really cultivate that experience for you. Right. It's easy to do this stuff and it has a massive impact. 
Right. And to your point, I mean, just from the lazy GM's perspective, it's less work for you, right? Because you don't have to do all the tallying up of, of the system and things like that. Leah, how about your perspective from an, from an experience? Uh, you know, what, what, what are, what, what have been your experiences and your preference when it comes to kind of point based progression versus, uh, sort of story based progression? I know I did say that I like XP, but I definitely like the uh, milestone approach more because I'm very like bad at math. There's another reason as well. So having those like story beats being the important moments definitely is a great system. I think the only reason to flip it and have it be for specific points of uh, for per character is to when you have a system that wants you to do specific things that are, are according to your archetype. In Blades of the Dark, you get experience points for like if you solve the problem with this type of thing. Yep. And I, I like that approach as well. But you can also like have different sorts of rewards for doing that, like like inspiration points, <clears throat> and have everybody going up at the same level, which I think is definitely very. Yeah. And Leah, I'm glad you kind of, uh, you know, brought up the example of Blades in the Dark because I'm going to toss that one to to Gavin. But, you know, just to, to, to kind of step back, I mean, one of the things that I personally have run into with a milestone, and, and it's definitely my preference, is that sometimes... Um, because it's so subjective, you know, what it means, you know, to go between, you know, one milestone and the next, and you're really in control of that uh, as the, uh, as the GM, sometimes you get the reaction from the players where they, they feel like, shouldn't we get to level up now? It's been X amount of time, but then, you know, if they haven't accomplished the things that you are kind of envisioning from a milestone perspective, you kind of hold that back. So I'm just kind of curious, you know, what do you say? to that kind of argument i think well, it depends on like why they're saying that like sometimes like have they actually accomplished something from their perspective well why, why don't we say you know hypothetically you know it's it's been a you know a long time in terms of actual play time and it's taken them a long time to get you know from point a to point b so i'll use my own campaign as an example um we uh we meaning the 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 group spent a lot of time like three weeks in basically doing an extended shopping episode right so there was a lot of role play there's a lot of interaction a lot of investigation but it wasn't really getting into anything meaty by way of the main plot right and i know some players started to feel like oh you know we have to go out we have to you know do something but other people were really kind of no we've got to get more information and so that led to a situation where there was a lot of physical time that was being spent in the game without necessarily significant movement forward in terms of that milestone um can i touch on that a bit i would love for you because you know what I'm talking about, Theo. That, that was game. that you were in that game, <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. What I will say that I did actually do is it actually, um, you know, because as character, as people were getting antsy, you know, those of them who were getting antsy to move along with the plot because you know we wanted 
to get other things done. Um, that was also reflected in our characters. And then that, what ended up happening, uh, the way I recall, is that we ended up with a conflict between the characters. Good, <laughs> healthy D&D conflict that had to be resolved, right? You know, uh, you had some characters pushing to, to uh, get on that boat and go, and other characters pushing to, you know, stay in town and get more information. And, and such. Um, and so I think that wasn't actually a detriment to the game. Um, and that is just the way milestone leveling kind of works. Right. So it, it's part of the price you pay in a way. And there's balance, you know, at the end of the day. And I think a GM would have to be, you know, on the lookout for that. So, um, Gavin, I'm going to throw back to you on this one because uh, I know you're a massive fan of Play by the, uh, Powered by the Apocalypse. And that's a system, you know, I've started to get a little experience in, but where your character's advancement is, you know, very specific tied to the stuff that you do in game. In fact, your character sheet kind of almost encourages, you know, if you do, you know, certain of your signature moves or you build a relationship with another character, those are the opportunities for, for gaining experience. So you might have a very different idea given your preference for those. So, you know, especially given that type of game, are you more in favor of that kind of points-based mechanical progression? So, yeah, here's the thing about Powered by the Apocalypse and uh, Forged in in the Dark. And uh, apologies, I've kind of been using these terms. I don't know if everyone in the audience knows them. Uh, PBTA, as I'll say from now on, Powered by the Apocalypse is a system that is built in such a way, one of the things it does that's really interesting, and Forged in the Dark also does this, uh, it incentivizes certain behavior with experience. A lot of Powered by the Apocalypse games you mark experience, which lets you buy upgrades for your characters, when you roll a particular skill and you fail it. And to me, that's really interesting and a really neat idea, because what that does is it really incentivizes players to try things that aren't in their wheelhouse, that they know they may not succeed, because now there's a reward for failing, too. Forged in the Dark goes a little different route. You mark experience in Forged in the Dark systems when you're doing something, an action that generally the GM and you both agree is incredibly risky. <laughs> so the incentivization there is, you know, it's if you want to hide behind cover and plink out around every couple, you know, every few turns and basically stay safe, that's fine, but you're probably not going to mark any experience. However, as it goes with my own personal gaming motto, no chandelier left unswung, uh-huh. if you're, you know, diving over over ledges and hurling yourself over uh, holes in the floor as you blast away at the enemy, you're going to start building up experience faster and you're going to be able to improve your character. And I think that's a really interesting idea um, because I think it's important, and I'm going to sort of go high level on this as a GM tip, when you're handing out rewards, always try to think about what you're incentivizing. If, like me, you're a GM that absolutely despises sitting there at the table as the group goes through the inventory lists and equipment (laughs) lists and tries to decide what to buy for half the session, don't give them that much cash. Because when you give them a bunch of cash, you're basically incentivizing them to go shopping. So So it sounds like you're not a proponent of shopping episodes. Oh. Because I can I, tell you, to be contrarian, I love shopping episodes. Can, As can, a GM, I, it's my favorite, favorite, favorite uh, thing. Can I do my gold rant right now? And please then I will do, shut up for the rest do. of no, the No, no, no. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. Okay. So my gold rant, I'd hate gold, cash, etc. 
as a device in any role-playing game. Uh Because to me, the most interesting thing in stories is when your heroes, your protagonists, your anti-heroes, whoever they are, has to do things that don't fit in with the rest of society. To me, it's not interesting when your team of super spies buys first-class tickets on on Air Canada and flies over to Copenhagen. (laughs) I want them stealing a plane or, Uh uh you know, Uh something that fits the genre and is bigger. When you take that fungible medium of exchange, whether it be gold or cash, when it plays less of a role in your game, you don't take it out altogether because that kind of threatens some consistency. Plus, you want something for all the commoners to buy their food with so they don't have to help become heroes. That's our job. Uh, (laughs) When you take that out or you remove a significance, suddenly characters in your game will be more inclined to barter, to, you know deals to owe favors to try to get what they need as opposed to just okay well let's go find a way to make money yet let's make have we made enough money yet okay let's go back pay this guy for this and off we go again not as interesting to me i don't want to play hedge fund the reckoning i want to swashbuckle and that means you get money you spend it all and then you know off you go to either get what you need without money or figure something else out so to be, I was, yeah, and 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 you, you took the words right out of my mouth. So let me just kind of cue this up really, really quickly, uh, Daryl. So, I mean, for example, um, in uh, the Golden Glory game, which we do podcast, by the way, um, you know, I would say money and greed and corporate machinations and all these, those things are very important in, in this. And I know you yourself, you actually um, kind of take an acquisition. Uh, incorporated slant in your own game. So what, what's your view on kind of cold, hard cash and currency and all those things? Uh, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> 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 uh, so are you so, saying that you're in favor of I, shopping I, I episodes? Shopping episodes. Yeah, I can only handle so much. Okay. Right? You know, true, truth be told. Uh, and I'm very tolerant of other people in my group wanting to shop. Um but uh, the idea of collecting gold for gold's sake, right? You know, where that's going to be something you're going to hoard, you know, like a, like a like a red dragon, like uh, you know, then, then that means that they don't want to spend their gold because they want to keep their gold, and, and it kind of keeps that uh, down a bit. But more importantly, I mean, things like acquisitions incorporated or uh, strongholds and followers or, or these kind of things. Um, these are great reward. You know, these are great systems to add in because they give rewards. For doing downtime activities, uh-huh. crazy, right? Uh, and then all of a sudden, you get a lot of downtime options. Uh, I know you called it like a three-episode shopping trip, but really, it was two episodes of shopping in one episode of downtime machinations, uh, just spread out over three episodes, uh, which is kept my interest. It was great for me as a player, and then as me as a DM, uh, doing this with uh, with a totally different group with totally different uh, inputs from their own life to bring into the game. Uh, it's been, it's brought so much joy and so much life into this game. Um, you know, that being able to to give them a home base um, and then they come up with their own goals, their own hooks, their own things that they can do to throw into the game. It really sets them in the stage and really allows them to plant their flag saying, this world is different because this business exists. Right? You know, yeah. it's, 
No, and, and and you you make a great point here because I mean at the end of the day, you know, the gold and the treasure is really incidental, right? It's more about you know these people are part of a a group who are operating uh, essentially a business, and and as the business grows, that's where the opportunities for role play kind of uh, you know uh, fit into this. Okay, so we're uh, starting to come up on on the top of the hour, so I'm going to switch uh, to one which I really quite uh, like. Doesn't maybe. Have have as much oh no it's got three votes now so half dan you had a question how would you use cursed items as loot and rewards and personally i love you know cursed items or something that has or even like intelligent weapons and things like that or some you know crazy robot or whatever so uh leah what have been examples you know where you have kind of used these types of ideas or tropes to kind of enrich your game yeah, I like giving things like that to the players that believe that all attention is good attention. <laughs> it's like, even if your character is dealing with this cursed item a lot and like it's going really badly for them, that's still scenes they get to steal. Absolutely. Very, very nice. <laughs> Any attention is good exam- uh, attention. That's great. Gavin, how about you? What's your take on cursed items and stuff like that? Um, yeah, so I don't generally use them, uh, or if I do, I would never put them in the position of being of appearing as a reward. Uh, one of my biggest GM precepts, and I've learned this one very much the hard way, if you give your players a reward that they've rightfully earned, don't take it away and don't have it turn out to be some big gotcha that, that screws them over. And I don't think that's what anyone else on this panel would ever do, but it is easy to slide over that line by giving them a complicated magic item that maybe has more downside than upside. Uh, Iconic example, the One Ring is a powerful magic item. It was not a reward for anybody. Uh, Even though it had a little bit of upside, you could turn invisible to everything except the the Nazgul. Uh, (laughs) Just a wee bit of a problem in the small print on that one. (laughs) Exactly. My preference, I I don't like surprise cursed items, and this goes back to what I was saying in the traps section, Uh uh, or the traps session we did. I don't like that, oh, you didn't know what it was, and it got you, now you're screwed. I like, hey, this is a horrible dark object that, you know, will attempt to pervade your very soul, possess you, and turn you to evil, and we need you to take it across country. Let them know exactly what they're dealing with, what and they're then getting it's incredibly into. difficult for them to deal with. Nice. So that's um, how I usually use curse. So I'm curious, though. I mean, surely you've had players who are kind of, you know, shit disturbers and stuff like that, and they end up not taking the cursed item across the country where it needs to be, you know, disposed of safely. And in fact, they, 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 you know, peek at it, they, they attune with it, they cuddle with it in the nighttime. And, yeah. you know, that, oh, I hope so. I, oh, okay. And, and so I was going to ask, like, you know, is that in fact what you're hoping oh. for as a GM? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not going to give them a dark, unholy grail that we're, that will whisper sweet nothings into their <laughs> dreams and try to possess them and then not let it happen if they oh want no to. no no <laughs> that's the perfect I mean, that's opportunity just making my life easy <laughs> that's great uh daryl what's your perspective on cursed items yeah i don't use them i i see these things on reddit all the time and i'm just like that's a wonderful item i don't see how a lot of these cursed items people come up with how they're going to be uh, uh fun to play with um you know like i, I just find that too many people make too many bad cursed items um, and, and I would just rather stay away. Uh, what's what's an example of a, a bad cursed story. item versus? I would love a sentient intelligent item. I, I, I would love to play them in my games. Uh, that's that's a different thing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Cursed uh-huh. items, I mean, 
Like, and I agree with Ken. Like, if I was to put one in, it would probably be the mission. The mission is to get this thing destroyed. And whether or not the party does that, that's part of the game. But uh, other than that, I, I think I'd rather just leave it. Yeah, and it, it's sounding like what I'm hearing from all of you is that, you know, so the cursed item, quote unquote, is it shouldn't ever really be positioned as a reward, right? It, it's it's not, you know, an explicit thing that you're giving out in order to kind of, you know, make, you know, like, a, I guess, send a statement or to reinforce. It's actually part of the story. It's part of the plot. And it can it can exist as an independent thing, but it of in itself, it, it's not a reward. Okay. Yeah, unless you, unless you're playing a, like an OSR dungeon crawl where that's known to be kind of part of the setting and the tone of the game, I, I think it just you know not only did they think they were about to get to get a reward, now they're worse off than they were before, and everybody else is showing off their new magic items. That's that's just a recipe for a problem. And just for our elucidation, Gavin, you want to because I know someone asked it. What what does OSR stand for again? Sorry, OSR, Old School Revival, is a school of gamer thought that harkens back to the kind of basic D&D, AD&D games, and is attempting, or has done, I shouldn't say is attempting, some of them have been very successful, in creating games that map the feeling of those early games, which is to say rules light, lots of adjudication by the GM, and with play based more on the creativity of the characters than the static abilities of, or sorry, the creative abilities of the players more than the static abilities of the characters. Wow. How about that for an answer, guys? That's about as definitive as it gets. Even's got like the side oh. anecdotes and everything. Well, yeah, that's me. I think if you ask five other people to play with, <laughs> you'd get five different definitions. So. There we go. Okay, so you know, we're we're kind of coming. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're, we're coming up on the top of the hour, so I wanted to kind of close off with um, giving you guys each a kind of chance to say, you know, what is the reward or loot or creative magic item or, or, or you know, even the, uh, you, you know, like whatever you're using as an incentive, what has been probably the, 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 one, the, the one thing that you made up that you're most proud of or... Uh, talk about your worst experience, right? So with the benefit of hindsight, like what's a magic item or something that you've given out that you really wish you never did? And why do you kind of regret, regret it? So Leah, how about I start with you? <laughs> start with someone else and try to think. Okay. Uh, Daryl? Sure. Uh, I mean, I honestly, I have uh, three couple, like three different items here I could talk about, but I don't want to talk about them now because you didn't talk about more. That never came up in surprise. But giving out lore as a reward is can be can be very very useful. Um, you know, it, it can help. Like if I give out lore about uh, you know my cleric's deity, right? You know, or if I can give out uh, you know, and, and, and I don't mean like a big lore dump. I mean like you know, you can give them this little piece here, right? You know, and then maybe they go investigate that, and that leads to more lore, right? You know, it leads to more understanding what it is they're doing here. Um, you know, or finding different ways to find out about uh, about your BBEG, right? You know, uh, how do you give them that kind of information? Uh, those are all rewards that also progress the story and uh, allow, you know, your players to feel cool and special and, and awesome. 
And, and I love that answer because it really turns the whole, you know, idea of rewards on its head, right? It's not always going to be about, you know, something like, like Gavin said, fungible, right? That something consumable. It could be knowledge. It could be information, something that advances the story. Gavin, what about you? What's your kind of moment of pride or moment of regret? We'll go with moment of regret. <laughs> I uh, knew you were going to do it. <laughs> this, this is a good example of how I don't often or sometimes ever follow my own advice. Uh, so this is a Pathfinder campaign. And it was one where the PCs were uh, resistance fighters. Uh, if anyone knows the midnight setting, it was based loosely on that, where the forces of the Dark God won the final battle, have overrun the continent, and now the players are kind of the last one of the members of the last sort of vestiges of the resistance. A uh, really cool concept, by the way, because it means you get to do all the things that normally monsters get to do, like invade dun- or live in dungeons and go out and sack towns. But uh, anyway, I gave them what was in Pathfinder, and it might, even, it might be in 5th edition. Uh, let me know if it is. The Lyre of Building, L-Y-R-E, musical instrument. It has two powers, basically. One is that you can you know, play it while in any structure and it will make that structure more or less immune to certain magical effects and damage and really strengthen stuff. And I gave it to them because they were working their way through this ruined city. And I thought, great, this is going to be a great way because there were these horrible flying beasties all over the place for them to kind of protect themselves as they go from building to building here. The problem is the building of the liar of building also once a week lets you do something insane like uh, build ditches and buildings and walls, et cetera, equivalent to you know 300 men over 10 weeks or 10 days or something like that. And that was the problem is I didn't even think about it. I gave them this. And what do they do? They sit down in the city. First, they use it to create as many fortifications as they can. <laughs> and then they sit there for a week and they use it again. <laughs> and suddenly this has turned from, you know, my resist you know vicious little resistance band game to hey it's contracting the rpg and that's a I, great I, one i i basically i'm not proud of it i bought them off we had an intervention i said i want the liar of building out of the game i don't like it and i said so here's what we're gonna do let's look through the magic items and you guys can we're gonna do that's some amazing <laughs> talk about needing to learn from your mistakes okay nope. last but not least leah hopefully you had a little okay, bit of time to consider in the interim because it hasn't fully played off yet but i had my players uh succeed in something that was meant to kind of be a trap of uh appeasing a living statue by leading it an offering and on and now it, now they have a statue friend and they feel very clever <laughs> very nice for the life and attacking them that's amazing. Okay, so guys, we're, we're kind of past the hour. I want to thank everyone, especially our three pa- panelists. I, I think we had a lot of different perspectives, even some contrarian views. So it was kind of nice to kind of get that. Uh, just a couple reminders and plugs. Uh, so we will be releasing a podcast cast of this in, ca- in case you came late. And of course, we've got a number of podcasts, uh, you know, in the KW Gamers. So if you check out those channels, that'd be great. You even may even get to, uh, you know, hear some of the stuff on some of the things that we've been, been mentioning, our Golden Glory 
campaign and things like that. Controlled Chaos, every first and third week um, uh, on the Saturday, we try to host kind of games. We used to obviously do this in person, but now, you know, it's all online. And so, you know, love to kind of hear from anybody who's willing to kind of run a game and, uh, you know, put your name out there and, and uh, you know, give uh, give gaming, uh, GMing a try. And then we've got Book Club, of course, that's coming up. And I also do want to kind of uh, make a call out. We are going to be posting um, a channel just to kind of understand who would be folks who would be interested in either moderating a session like this or acting as a panelist. We may not necessarily always choose you, but at least we have kind of a list of names and sort of what you're interested in. So we're going to put that up based on some of the feedback we've been getting, and uh, that'll just be part of uh, our stuff going forward. So again, thank you, everyone. Thanks to all your panelists. Thanks for participation and all the great questions, and we'll talk to you in a couple weeks.